Good morning, everyone. Uh, in our <clears throat> first reading, we have um, Moses is having an experience, and the writer uh, of Exodus is trying to communicate to us as best he can uh, in human language what was going on. And uh, I was reflecting on the story, preparing to, and I thought about it, and I thought mm, the way it's explained it seems really uh, wonderful and uh, almost, uh, but I thought it doesn't even begin to capture really what happened on that mountain. And my friends, um, it tells us that uh, God appears to Moses and uh, um, in a burning bush and reveals his name. Uh, the name in Hebrew uh, is Yahweh. It means I am. Who am? And uh, the verb of all things. And he tells Moses, I've heard the cries of my people. And I will send you to liberate them. My friends, uh, well, for those who study the Old Testament, this becomes a turning point in Old Testament for us Christians because it leads to the Exodus and beyond. In the Gospel, we see how Jesus rejected a common belief that was prevalent in his times about punishment uh, and um, even though he corrects their understanding, he, he points out, but you must repent from your ways. And Jesus tells the Jews that they will lose the promises unless they repent. And friends, the barren fig tree symbolizes, uh, if you will, the barren state of Israel as Jesus saw it. And, um, but he tells them there is time to repent, but that time is growing smaller for them. And uh, in reflection, the role of Moses prefigures that role of Jesus. Through Moses, God saved his people, Israel, from slavery in Egypt. And uh, um, we are now, with all humility, the new people of God, of the new covenant. And saved through the waters of baptism from slavery of sin and we are now in route, as the Israelites were in route, to the promised land. But for us, our leader is Jesus. Paul, if you didn't catch in that sec second reading, makes a very bold statement about Israel in that time, about the rock, the water. He said it was the Christ. He refers to Jesus. It was him back then. And so Jesus is our leader, and he's leading us into the new promised land, which will be the eternal life. We, too, are fed from food from heaven. They called it manna. We call it the Holy Eucharist. In the letter uh, to the Romans, St. Paul says that in spite of all that God had done for them, most of the Israelites were not pleasing to God. And it becomes a warning for us Christians 
and not to presume. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, there is a comment made, do not presume because you call father, your Ab Abraham your father, that you are good. The same strand is coming out here, and I'll talk a little bit more about this. And my friends, um, in today's gospel, our Lord is giving some warnings. And the first one um, is that every tragedy does not signify a sin. There are two incidents that the Lord refers to. The first one involves some of the Galileans uh, who were executed by Pontius Pilate in a very gruesome way. And um, they were offering sacrifice in the temple uh, when they were suddenly overtaken by soldiers and they were killed instantly. And thus their blood was mixed with the very blood of the sacrifices. And uh, the second event that Jesus refers to, another tragedy, uh, involves some people who were killed by a tower that collapsed. In speaking of these two tragedies, uh, one is an atrocity done by a public official, and the other is an accident. When you go and read, you'll see it was just an accident. The Lord says that these people were not necessarily greater sinners than anyone else. Every tragedy does not signify a sin, then, and a punishment. And so, knowing that the Word of God is alive, how do we apply this to our own time? And, uh, and there are many tragedies which we read and hear about. And these events remind us that life is precious and precarious, and life is not to be taken for granted. Such things also serve to remind us that uh, we do not have forever on this earth to say and to do the good that we should do and that as Christians we are called to do. Again, every tragedy does not signify sin or punishment from God. But such events can show us the circumstances of our lives are not completely in our control. The second teaching of the Lord is that although every tragedy does not signify a sin, every sin is a tragedy. We may not completely control the circumstances in our life, but we can make decisions about the circumstances of our soul, our spirituality. Through sin, we can cut off God's grace in us and unleashing the spiritual disaster, if you will. Spiritual collapse comes not from things that happen to us, but from the things that we do. Perhaps then the Lord is very well teaching us that every tragedy does not signify a sin, but every sin then is tragic. And it is a tragedy that you and I can avoid. And then finally the Lord speaks about, he presents a parable which has Many meanings, but um, he speaks about a fig tree that does not produce, but it is given more time. We are all given time to enter into the very life of the church, of us Roman Catholics and Orthodox, the Mass and the sacraments. And all of these mysteries, if you will, mean uh, to break the bonds of sin so that we may enter into a new 
spiritual rebirth. In a way, uh, that is what we do in our Lenten season. In a small way, we try to renew um, our dedication uh, to Christ in those ways, and uh, we are all being given more time. But many people take this for granted. In today's second reading, St. Paul is writing to the spiritual apathy of the Corinthian community. He reminds them that many of their ancestors walked through the baptism of the Red Sea. That's what he's talking about. And they were fed with bread from heaven that they call manna. But they still proved to be ungrateful and unworthy. They still betrayed their God-given grace and dignity and liberty, and therefore it was lost. Then he warns us. So we too can be baptized. We too in our church receive the Holy Eucharist right from heaven regularly and still refuse to go through deep inner conversion just as those Israelites refuse deep conversion. St. Paul writes, Let anyone who thinks he or she stands upright watch. Watch out is what he says. Lest you fall. He's telling us Christians should not think or presume that just because they have received the sacraments that they are automatically saved. However, Christians who are rooted in the Word of God and corresponding with the grace of God ought to and should produce much fruit. Yet many fail to be productive as they should or produce nothing for any number of reasons, but mostly perhaps because of laziness or apathy or because their hearts are made of stone. When we look at the tragedies of our time, it should remind us that we do not have forever. The tragedies in our life may not be in our control, but the disasters that plague our soul are. Because every sin is a tragedy, and according to St. Paul, is avoidable. Friends, this gospel is a wake-up call and a threat of sorts and a warning if people refuse chance after chance, the day will finally come, not when God shuts them out, but when they have, by their deliberate choice, shut themselves out. Certainly, Christians can do much better, particularly because and with the graces our Lord gives each of us freely. The brevity of this life in this world should call us to take seriously the time then we are given to live lives of grace, of love, of charity, of reconciliation, of holiness, and to serve the Lord in this life, and so then we will be happy with him forever in the next. Each of us have been given time to change. My friends, uh, the first reading, for some reason, has always, uh, this season, 
when I read it, just seemed to be heavy on my heart, meaning uh, not destructive, but causing me to think and think and think and think. And last night I told the folks one of the things that I picked up from that reading was how God addresses Moses. Um, he doesn't, as Moses gets closer, he doesn't say, I'm the God who created you and everything, which would be true. But he doesn't. He says, I am the God of your ancestors, Abraham, Moses, Jacob, of, meaning he still is, meaning they're very much alive, which Moses should have been. But it talks about relationship. God wants to be in relationship. I mean, his very name, I am who am. It's relational. And I looked at the experience of Moses. And in, uh, in the New Testament, uh, we look at the parables and we look at their, uh, their surface meaning. Uh, Jesus was talking and they said, that's right. If the tree doesn't work, you, you either give it a little more loving or you get rid of it. But the parables also have spiritual meanings and uh, emotional pieces. And when I was looking at Moses and this burning bush... Uh, Moses is in the midst of something. He's, he's now, he, he's no longer uh, living as an Egyptian, remember his story. Uh, now he lives as a shepherd and he's out tending and uh, he recognizes, he looks and he sees something odd. And it's a strange happening to him. I mean, friends, when I, uh, I think, okay, that's the surface level. What's the, what's the spiritual level? Uh, that there's a mysterious event happening. And, <clears throat> and sometimes I think uh, it would be true to say that uh, there are times in our lives when we have something strange happening, but we don't recognize it. And uh, one of the things that the first reading tells us that religious experience is not just for special people. Moses in that time was not special. He was like us. The Holy Spirit touches each one of you. Either we don't recognize it's happening or our concerns and our interests are so much that we ignore it. And Moses decides to stop what he is doing. It means he changes course. And he goes closer to this thing, this bush. And, and that's how the writer describes it. And I wonder, uh, hey, was it really a bush? I mean, uh, he's trying to communicate what it looked like and everything. Was it, it was probably even greater than that. But Moses lets go of everything he's doing and directs his attention to this mysterious reality that's before him. For us, we get so preoccupied with all of our things that we do not see and hear. As the pastor here, God doesn't listen to me. I don't experience God. Have you actually opened up to him? We get so bogged down with everything else that we hear and see nothing. Or they feel that unless this affects them personally in some way, meaning I'm going to get something out of this. 
God's agenda for them remains closed. So Moses approaches, and a warning is given to him. Remove the sandals from your feet, for this is sacred ground. And when we come to that place in our spirituality, when we finally get to there, when we allow ourselves to be to feel the presence of God as Moses did in this event, then you are on holy ground. Moses acknowledged this by taking off his shoes. In other words, he stayed. I'm going to plant myself here. And many of us fall short of this because we are not ready to look for God or even at him. We are looking at our calendars instead because we're so busy. We feel his presence at times, but we are not willing to stay because other things are more pressing and appealing. Moses takes off his sandals. In other words, he is ready, and God shows himself to him. He is in the presence of what we say as the great I am. And my friends, God is ever-present. The scriptures tell us he is everywhere in all times, in all places. And the scriptures tell us he desires to reveal himself to you. He sent his son. And yes, I read Moses hid his face because he was afraid. We too at times are afraid. Why are we afraid? Because we can't control God. We may not like what he's going to say because it's going to require us to change everything. Look at Father Mark. Man, I'll tell you what, when I finally gave in and became the priest, everything changed. <laughs> the same was bad, it just changed. We want to control things, and we can't control God. And finally, after all this, Moses is sent. God could have done anything. He could have sent the host of angels. He could, I mean, he sends Moses and tells Pharaoh, let my people go. In spite of his doubts and his feelings of inadequacy, if you read the story, Moses sets out. And that is, in that story, the climax of the story For Moses and for us, it's pressed in that word, go and do this. Moses, I suspect, would have stayed, would either have stayed. Most of us can understand that feeling. But if we are going to experience God in our lives, we're going to have to be ready to go, to move from where we are right now into that spiritual place. But you have to be willing. My friends, I've been your pastor for seven years, and um, in the church's lingo, I have governance over you as your shepherd, your little shepherd. <laughs> the archbishop is your big one. And then there's the big, big one, Jesus. 
And one of the things uh, that I do is to continue to encourage you, to help you to walk in holiness so that one day I can go to heaven and say, I did what I could. My friends, in particular, a pastor of a parish in the Catholic Church uh, is held responsible for the Eucharist to make sure that his people have it, to make sure it's treated with reverence, to make sure the people understand. And so um, my heart is broken because the sacristans have told me for two weeks now the Eucharist has been found in the pew. And I really thought we were beyond this. So I need your help to bring this under control because I am held responsible for it. Not only in this world, but by Christ. If it continues, I will have to go to the archbishop. And he will write a prescription for this parish, and I guarantee you will not like it because he will restrict you from having it in the hand. So I'm asking for your help. Father, how can we help you? Please consume the Eucharist in front of us. That is really the tradition. Don't walk away with it. Even if you have to step to the side, okay. Don't worry about the person behind you. Well, Father, don't worry about the line. <laughs> this is not, it's the Lord's day, not his hour. <laughs> if, you're, if you're, no, slow down. So please, consume the host in front of the minister. Don't walk away with it. This will help us to bring it under control. And uh, I don't know who it was or why they did it, and there's different, it could be different reasons, but um, it can't happen anymore. And, uh, and this is the opportunity for me, and I know uh, this is a very touchy subject, but this is the teaching of our church, and I make no apologies for it. The Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. This is what we believe. And Mother Church does not allow non-Catholic Christians to receive the Eucharist. And if you have a problem with that, then you're going to have a problem with that. But this is the teaching of the Church. And it is not a judgment on other Christians' hearts and their holiness. It is about unity. The sacrament of the Eucharist is a great sign of unity amongst Catholics. And people say, well, not, well, here's the thing. A Catholic who can be in disagreement with something has the possibility to reconcile that through the sacrament of reconciliation where other Christians do not have that. What are we not unified in? We believe Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, but after that, everything begins to diminish. And the one thing that most Christians of other denominations do not hold is what we say the Eucharist is. You can go to 1 Corinthians 11.27 and read what St. Paul says about that. So uh, this is not a judgment. I love our brothers and sisters of other denominations, and they're here and they worship what, with us. But the Eucharist they cannot have. There are even some Catholics who, uh, because of one thing or another, also may not have the Eucharist in, the, in their time until they resolve it. So it's, 
And so I ask everyone to respect the teaching. This is my house. I'm the father of this house. And I ask you to respect the teachings. If I come to your house, I will respect your rules. But this is my house. And I ask everyone to respect this. So let us work together to get back control over this abuse of the Eucharist. Please, please, consume the Eucharist in front of the minister. Don't walk away with it. This will help us uh, uh, to to the Christians of other denominations who are with us. I love you, but you cannot have the Eucharist. Yes, there is a very... mm, There's a very tight possibility for some, but you can come and talk to me about what is those possibilities. But for the most part, you must become Catholic in order to have the Eucharist. Um, My friends, I'm pleading with you and counting on you to help me because I can't do this by myself. It'll be difficult, and I don't want to go to the archbishop because I can already see the eye he's going to give me and it'll make me feel terrible, and rightly so. My brothers and sisters, I thank you always for being attentive uh, to my words, and uh, um, I love you in Christ.